I would like uh, for First Norfolk, I'd love for you to uh, welcome the Amiri family, and uh, we are thankful for them. Thank you for allowing us uh, to uh, host you and be a blessing. Y'all are a blessing to us. Thank you so much, and uh, what a privilege it is to get to know you. Thank you all. And uh, church family, uh, we, uh, as uh, God has given us the mandate, uh, not only to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but as Jesus said, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, our neighbors. And we as a church, investing all that we can to love them. Thank you all. And I thank you so much. And you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 15. Uh, we're talking about having a healthy heart. Um, a little principle about having a healthy heart, okay? Just, just, uh, I know you're turning, just listen to this because this is important. Do your own push ups. <laughs> healthy heart. I, nobody can do push ups for you. Uh, only you can do your own push-ups. I can do push-ups. I do push-ups pretty much every day. And when I do push-ups, I do them for Eric Thomas. I, I'm so tempted right now. I don't have time. Oh, I, okay. All right. Whatever. So, when we talk about having a healthy heart, just know you've got to do your own push-ups. I can't make you have a healthy heart. Only you can. I don't know how many I did, but that was sufficient for the day. James, I think it was your dad who prodded me into that. Okay. All right. Anyway, uh, so we're talking about having a healthy heart, and the only way to have, have a healthy heart is if you individually, I'm not, I, I can't do anything about your spiritual disciplines. I can't do anything to help you become more like Jesus. I can't help you. Uh, I, I can't do anything for you. I can only point you in the direction, and God's Word by His Spirit will uh, take hold your heart and lead you, hopefully, prayerfully. Uh, to take the steps that you need to take as a follower of Jesus Christ to have a healthy heart. And by the way, if indeed you are a follower of Jesus, and I know not everyone is, but if indeed you are a follower of Jesus, it is part of your DNA. It's part of your spiritual yearning to have a heart that looks like Jesus, to have a healthy heart. Again, when we talk about healthy heart, we're not talking about push-ups. We're talking about your spiritual condition before a holy God. How is your heart? Okay, so um, today we're looking at Matthew 15. We're looking at a heart of worship. How do you develop a heart for worship? You and I were created to worship God. You realize that, yes? Every person, no matter where you're from, you were created to worship God, to adore Him, to live for His pleasure. And if you're part of God's family, that is your deep desire. 
If you have been rescued by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ and been brought into the family of God, then the gospel has awakened in you a yearning and a desire to worship the living God and the ability to worship the living God. All right, so because we have been brought into God's family, we want to please God. Don't you want to please God? I mean, I do. I want to please God. When I wake up in the morning, when I go to bed at night, all points in between, I want to please God. Uh, in, in my uh, growing up family, I one of four boys, and in the house where I grew up, the house of my birth, the family of my birth, love mom and dad, we did do birthday cakes for birthdays, but that, a birthday cake and a couple of presents. And we'd sing a song, go to bed, wake up the next morning. Mom would make a meal sometimes, and, and most of the time she'd make a, a meal. But, but that's different than the celebration of birthdays that we have in my house today. See, my wife loves to celebrate birthdays. My, my wife has built into the DNA of our family this um, intentionality in celebrating. And when birthdays start coming up, and we know when everybody's birthday is, I get the years confused, but I know the days. Um, when the birthdays start coming up, then we start texting each other, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for your birthday? What do you want for your birthday? Uh, why? Because we want to make sure that the list that you have, this is what I would like for my birthday, is the same as the list that we have. This is what we get you for your birthday. We want to know what is on your list so that we can get whatever is on that list so that you can have full-blown celebration and get what you want. We want to please each other because we're part of the family. We have been raised in this family, and we long to bring pleasure to the other in our family. As followers of Jesus, we've been brought into the family of God, and we have built into who we are a yearning and a desire to bring pleasure to God. And bringing pleasure to God is the very heart of worship. I, I want you to hear this because this is not how we view worship often. So often, in fact, at the end of the, other, uh, the last worship service, had somebody talk to me about how it was a terrible time because of something that happened in worship, and it was terrible. And, and I was like, did you not just listen to the sermon? But I, sometimes we define worship differently than how God defines worship. Okay? So, R.C. Sproul, I don't know if you've ever read R.C. Sproul. He's a Bible teacher, great guy, just love R.C. Sproul. Grew up reading him, don't read him much anymore, but here's what he said. He said, it is the pleasing of God that is at the heart of worship. It is the pleasing of God Almighty that is at the heart of of worship. Romans chapter 8 tells us that when we are sons and daughters of God, then we are enabled, equipped, energized by the Spirit of God to please God. So it's a capacity for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, son and daughter of God, you desire to please God and you can please God. Okay? And that's the essence of worship. A heart for worship lives 
for God's pleasure. All right, so here's the question. Are you living for God's pleasure? Are you living, are, are we living for God's pleasure? I wonder if, if we were to make a list right now and we were to make a list of the things that we think will please God. If I'm living for God's pleasure, then the question is, what am I doing that brings pleasure to God? Am, am I pleasing God with the things that I'm doing? So what would be on my list? This is what I think God wants for me to please him. And then what would be on God's list? This is what he says he wants for us to please him. And where do these lists differ? By the way, if your list on what it takes to please God or to worship him, if your list is different than what God's list is, guess who's wrong? Well, I am, right? God's not wrong. God never is wrong. God is absolute, absolute perfection. He never makes a mistake, especially when it comes to what it takes to please him or to worship him. He knows exactly what that is. So today, what we're going to look is we're going to look at two different lists. We're going to see the list of a group called the Pharisees and the scribes. The scribes in first century Judaism, there were uh, three or four groups of people that were religious leaders. And they were all centered in Jerusalem. They, there were the scribes. These were the nitpickers. Originally, uh, under uh, uh, Ezra's time in the Old Testament, they began to uh, transcribe the books of the law. They began to write down uh, Scripture. And all, they were scribes. They would write if it said uh, uh, Elohim, they would write Elohim, right? So they were scribes. Uh, by the first century, they were nitpickers. All they did was try to figure out how you were violating the jot and the tittle of the law. Okay, they were scribes. Then there were Pharisees. Pharisees, they were, man, they were all about keeping the law. In fact, they were all about keeping the law that they would create laws to help you create the law. And then they lost sight of the law itself, the law of God, and all they focused on was the law that they had written in order to help them keep the law of God. They weren't even thinking about the law of God anymore. They were just thinking about their rules and regulations. Then you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees, they're not mentioned in this passage, but the Sadducees were the liberal side. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, mostly aristocrats. Uh, they, they, you know, they became the greatest enemies of the church after the church was birthed in, in the book of Acts. And then you had the Herodians and they were the revolutionaries. They were the ones who wanted to start a revolution, right? So you had these four groups in first century Judaism and none of them, none of them, zero of them were really big fans of Jesus because Jesus got to the heart of what it means to love God, to worship God, and to please God. So in uh, Matthew chapter 15, we see that the scribes and the heresies, uh, the scribes and the heresies, the scribes and the Pharisees came to Jesus. They were sent from Jerusalem to Jesus, all right? And uh, then uh, what we read about in the first uh, few verses is how the Pharisees had a list of the things that everybody needed to do in order to please God. And Jesus confronts that list with God's list. So let's read 
Matthew chapter 15. I want you to begin verse 1. We're going to read through verse 6. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem, so Jerusalem, the, the headquarters of Judaism, they sent scribes and Pharisees to Jesus. And, uh, 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 and they said to him, verse 2, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? I want you to underline tra- tradition of the elders. Okay, that's an important phrase. For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Okay, y'all get the picture? So um, the disciples were eating bread, but they didn't wash their hands first. It wasn't just washing their hands to get the germs off. It wasn't about washing hands for hygiene purposes. It was washing hands in a ritual ceremony that the Pharisees had perfected over time. Okay? And because and the Pharisees said, if you're going to be fit for God's family, if you're going to be fit to worship him, if you're going to please God, then before every meal, you need to go through this ritual of hand washing. Okay? But it's the tradition of the elders. Okay? Everybody on the same page. Got it? Verse, uh, verse uh, 3. So Jesus answered, and he said to them, Well, why do you transgress the commandment of God? Now, there is a difference between the tradition of the elder and the commandment of God. The commandment of God is just that. This is what God has revealed in his word. These are the Ten Commandments. By the way, you want to know how to start on God's list? Ten Commandments is a good place to begin. Uh, the, the, The commandments of God to which Jesus was referring were... Genesis to Revelation that we have here today. It's God's Word. The tradition of the elders that the Pharisees were talking about, that's the, that's the rules that the Pharisees wrote up that everybody should follow. They originally wrote those rules to help people keep the law, but they forgot about the law, so much so that they followed their rules, but they transgressed the command of God. Now, tell me which is more important. And we're going to have a little test. What is more important, doing what our tradition says or doing what God says? Which is more important? Okay, saw a little hesitation. Because <laughs> we love our tradition. But tradition is man-made. The law of God is God-made. Not all tradition is bad. But every single one of the commands of God is absolute truth that we should follow. We must follow if we're going to please Him. We can please God and not follow tradition. Y'all listen. We can please God and not follow tradition. But it is impossible to please God and not obey His commands. And we, as followers of Jesus, were made, we have a yearning, we have the capacity to please God. We want to please God. For that's, our, 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 that's what it means to worship Him. Okay? It goes on. 
Jesus said, uh, said uh, 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 why do you transgress, verse 3, why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Verse 4, so here's the example. Uh, For God commanded, saying, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. All right, so that's 10 commandments, right? That's one of the 10. Honor your father and mother. How many of y'all knew that was one of the 10? One of the 10 commandments. Honor your father and mother. 10 commandments, big deal, right? Real simple. Honor your father and mother, don't lie, don't steal, etc. All right? Honor your father. So Jesus is saying, this is one of the 10. There's no mistake that you ought to be obeying this, okay? Verse 5, but you say, so the Pharisees had a way of doing it. You say, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Okay, I've got to explain this a little bit. It's called Corbin. That's what this is called. Uh, Pharisees had a way of getting around supporting their parents in their parents' old age. When their parents reached a certain age, the Pharisees, some of them, they would say, okay, I know that I'm supposed to support you, to honor you, but I really don't want to spend the money to take care of you. So I want my parents, and you say, the Pharisees would say to their parents, instead of me giving your money, you money, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell God, God, my son, the Pharisee, has said that whatever he was going to give me, I should count as a gift to you. Okay, I know, I know that. In, suppose I owe you $100, and instead of me giving you $100, I just say, I write you a note, hey, uh, I'm going to not give you $100. Instead, just count this as a charitable contribution to First Baptist Church Norfolk. I owe you $100. I don't give you $100. I just write down. I don't even give the church $100. I just say, count the $100 that I owe you as a charitable donation to First Baptist Church. Now, how many of y'all think that's a good plan? If you did, let's have a meeting afterwards. We, got, we, can, we can set some things up. No, I, of course that's not. It's cheating. I, I, that's all it is. But this is what many of the Pharisees were doing. Okay? Do you begin to see the hypocrisy here? They were yelling at the disciples because the disciples weren't washing their hands in a ritualistic way, which isn't even a command from God. It's a tradition that they wrote themselves. All the while, they are ignoring, neglecting, and disobeying one of the ten. Honor your father and mother. Okay? So Jesus goes on. And he says... um, uh, verse, uh, verse six, uh, then you need not honor your father and mother because you've done this cheat. This is the phrase that we need to listen to. Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. So they wrote this tradition so that they could get away from having to honor mom and dad. They wrote the tradition that said, I mean, it's literally codified in uh, Shimei. And, and it's codified, and, and, and they, they wrote it down. This is their tradition, but they did it so they wouldn't have to follow the law. And Jesus said, y'all have lost your ever-loving mind. As followers of Jesus, we need to hear this. 
Because there's a tendency in us to follow our tradition and act like that's all we need to do, when in reality, we're ignoring the very things that God tells us to do in his word. So, again, this is simple, and this is going to run quick from this point forward, okay? All right? If we're going to have a heart for worship, then we must please God. If we're going to please God, then the first thing we need to understand is we need to obey God. If we're going to please God, we must obey God's word. Does that make sense? So God is the boss of me. And God is the boss of you. And to bring God pleasure, we need to do what he says. Make sense? Everybody on the same page there. So as a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I must obey God and what he's told us in his word. Genesis to Revelation gives us the commands of God. Those commands are a reflection of his list. This is what it takes to please God. If we're going to please God, if we're going to worship God, then we're going to obey the word of God. Does it make sense? I'm just trying to help us understand how to do our own push-ups. We've got, I can't obey God for you. You can't obey God for me. But if I'm going to have a healthy heart, I must obey God's word. Look, look, verse 7. So Jesus has just called out the Pharisees and how they have, um, they've, uh, uh, they've embraced tradition, but they've rejected commandment. Verse 7. What does he call them there? First word. Hypocrites. Okay. Let me ask you a question. This is going to get a little... Per- Are you playing a hypocrite? Am I playing a hypocrite? You know what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is the one who acts like they got it all together, but really is just pretending. A hypocrite is one who acts like, um, uh, I am, uh, man, I am so right with God, and there is nothing, nothing going wrong between me and God. I got it all together. I'm playing the hypocrite, because we know that's not true. The Pharisees were hypocrites because they were saying, hey, listen, because I look religious, religious and act religious, that's all that I need to do. But that's not true either. Are you playing the hypocrite? We play the hypocrite. It's uh, the Greek word hypocrite literally means pretender. We're playing the hypocrite when we put on the form of being religious and absolutely neglect the relationship that we have with God. We don't obey him. We don't even think about obeying him. We don't even care about obeying him. And we act like we're okay with God. We're not. Okay. So Jesus says, hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, verse 8, these people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Um. When we as followers of Jesus who've been rescued by God's grace through faith in Christ, who have been made new and given a new heart because we've trusted Christ, in that moment, God plants us in his family so our heart's desire is to please God. Okay? So that's our heart's desire. And in pleasing God, that's how we worship God. We bring him pleasure. 
with our life and with our words and with how we behave and what we say and where we go and what we do. We bring him pleasure. We're a hypocrite when we're not bringing God pleasure because we're not obeying God, but we're acting like because we're, we're here. We're, we're sitting in our seat. Some of y'all sit in the same seat that you've sat in for decades. I love it. I really do. I, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I love that, but you act like because you're sitting in that seat and you're singing a song, even the new ones that you don't know, and you say a prayer that somehow that is all you need to please God. Friends, that's not even, that doesn't even scratch the surface. That's not even the beginning point. The beginning point of pleasing God is where my heart beats in sync with his pleasure. Where our hearts are near to God so that we long to obey him. As a kid growing up in my house, my mom and dad were very intent on obedience, as you might imagine. And they weren't intent on obedience because I was a preacher's kid and they didn't want to uh, you know, have trouble at the church because of my rebellion. They got that anyway. But they, they wanted obedience from me because I was their son. And they wanted the best for me, but they wanted me to obey them. As a son, I really did want to please mom and dad. I didn't always obey them, but I did want to please them. And when I didn't obey them, I felt bad. In your relationship with God, do you feel bad when you don't obey him? Do you have a relationship with God? If you do, you ought to feel that pain of conviction. And if you're not feeling that pain of conviction, it's probably because you have hardened your heart against God himself, and you are definitely in a dangerous place as a follower of Jesus. If you've never felt pangs of, of needing to please God, then chances are you are not yet a follower of Jesus. You're not yet part of God's family. All right, so let me talk quickly about the game we play in church life, especially that I've played. I don't know if you still play this game. This is the game I've played. As a follower of Jesus, I've been a follower of Jesus for more than 40 years. That's great, right? Four decades. But in four decades, you learn to game the system. And game the system, what I mean by that is I know that if I do 99 things okay, then maybe I can, I, God will cut me a slack on that one thing where I'm disobedient. So, I, I'm, God, I, 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 God, I did this right, and I did this right. I obeyed you here, obeyed you here, obeyed you here, I obeyed you here. I obeyed you in all these things. But, but, but God, this one thing that you want me to obey you, I'm not doing that. That little piece right there, that's where you want my obedience. And I say, no. What Jesus wants us to hear is 99% obedience to God is still 100% disobedience to God. Uh, celebrate the 99%, but don't celebrate the 99% and act like the 1% is okay. 1% disobedience is 100% disobedience as a follower of Jesus. So I want us to live in the tension of our disobedience. I want us to feel that sense of this one thing, this one point of disobedience is a big deal to God. I can't overshadow it because I've been obedient in 99 other things. 
My parents would, uh, 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 every, uh, went to a school uh, in Texas uh, in middle school and high school, and uh, I played sports, and you would get a report card and a quarterly, uh, or, or whatever. You get report cards, and you'd have to take it to your, uh, uh, to your coach, and, and if, you, if you got bad academic grades, you would get licks, and if you got bad conduct grades, you would get licks. Licks being, uh, they had a wooden paddle. For those of y'all who don't know who, what this is, Licks, they had a wooden paddle and they would line you up and they would uh, give you licks with that wooden paddle. I know it sounds barbaric. Uh, but I got licks. I got licks. Uh, now, not because of academics. I, I mean, I was a straight A student. I got licks because my conduct grades weren't, weren't all that up to par. Uh, I would get uh, uh, N means needs work, U means unsatisfactory. Uh, I got N, U, N, and then an S, satisfactory. So uh, two N's, one U, and one S. And, and I remember um, getting licks. I, I wasn't even worried about the licks. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was painful. But that didn't even compare because I knew I was going to have to take that report card home. And my mom and dad... They wouldn't give me licks over that, but they would call me to a stricter level of obedience. It wasn't enough that I got straight A's. They wanted 100% obedience. That means my conduct needed to reflect that I was their son and that I was a follower of Jesus. And those conduct grades were not a good reflection of that. And they wanted to know why I got a U. Why did you get unsatisfactory? And they could excuse. The U was the big stickler. You know why I got a U? Because I was a fun-loving kind of guy. <laughs> and it was math class. And my math teacher wasn't a fun-loving kind of girl. <laughs> no, she was trying to teach whatever, you know, algebra or geometry or whatever it was. She was trying to teach mathematics, and I didn't get mathematics, so I joked. And she was trying to accomplish her job, and I was inhibiting her by having the class laugh at my jokes. And she, um, she, uh, she wasn't happy. I deserved that you, but my parents, I, I thought, well, it's just one you. No, 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 no. I got grounded forever, it felt like. Didn't get to go to the dance I didn't have a date anyway, but it. <laughs> As followers of Jesus, please understand 99% obedience is still 100% disobedience. We've got to deal with that 1%. We've got to deal with that one place where we're saying, I don't need to obey God. And we need to feel the pain of conviction as followers of Jesus in that 1%. I hope you do. We'll get to some relief here in a second, but I hope you feel that pain. So the second thing that we need to do to bring pleasure to God is we need to purify our heart. So if we're not obeying God's word, it's because our heart has, uh, has some uncleanness in it. We, we've embraced some sin, and that sin has made our heart toxic. This is what Jesus is getting at. Uh, verse, uh, verse 11, he says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles the person, but what comes out of the mouth. Then he explains it in verse, seven, uh, verse 18. He said, he said, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. 
They defile a person. They make a person unclean. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a person. Eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile a person. Saying it's not tradition, it's not, it's not cleansing your hands in, in, in a ritual way. That doesn't make you pure uh, or impure. What makes you impure is sin that is um, nurtured and nourished in our heart. And in order for us to please God, in order for us to have a heart of worship, we need to purify our heart. To purify. Get out the impurities. Deal with the sin. Get get the sin out. Anytime you see sin in your soul, in your heart, you need to get it out. The reason we're okay with the 1% disobedience is because we act like one sin is no big deal. But it's the one sin that'll kill, maim, destroy, It's that one sin that becomes toxicity for our soul. we got to deal with even the one sin. I want to ask you a question. How many of y'all have sinned in the last 24 hours? So how do we deal with that sin? For followers of Jesus, we want to. That's, uh, by the way, the pain of this uh, lack of obedience, the 1% obedience. I think this is what led Paul to say in Romans chapter 7, miserable wretch that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The things that I know I should do, I'm not doing. The things I know I shouldn't do, that's the very thing I'm doing. Oh, woe is me. I think that's what Paul was dealing with. He was not dealing with some grand, I, I committed murder last week. He's dealing with, I had a thought a minute ago that was against the will of God, that was contrary to what God wants me to think. Woe is me. And we need to have that kind of sensitivity to sin. So how do we purify our heart? How do we get to the place where more often than not we have hearts filled with purity rather than impurity, hearts that are leading us toward obedience and God's pleasure and a heart of worship? How do, we have, how do we purify our heart? Well, the first thing we need to do is ask God to help. We need to ask God. You know God wants to help us as his children purify our heart? Now, David said it this way, Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You want to purify your heart? If you're a follower of Jesus, you do. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't care. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you want to purify your heart. So how do you purify your heart? Begin, oh God, will you create in me a clean heart? God, help me. The second thing we need to do is we need to submit ourselves to the Spirit of God. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, walking in the Spirit. You know, walking in the Spirit means that I yield to the direction, to the mandate, to the, uh, 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 to the conviction uh, of uh, the third person of the Trinity who is God himself, the Spirit of God. 
I, I need to submit to the Spirit of God. Now, submitting to the Spirit of God uh, to walk in the Spirit is not just some subjective experience where I hear the Spirit speaking in my, uh, in my imaginative uh, thought processes. I'm, I'm not saying He doesn't speak like that. I'm just saying that is not the uh, primary pathway that the Spirit of God uses to convict us, to teach us, to correct us, to lead us forward. The, the path that the Spirit of God uses to um, convict us and to correct us and to teach us and to lead us forward is the book he wrote, which is the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. So as we spend time in the Word of God, we begin the day by saying, God, will you create in me a clean heart? Will you purify my heart? Will you help me have a pure heart? And then we open God's Word and say, Spirit of God, as you lead me through your word, your book that you've written as you teach me the commands that I must follow that shape my, my belief but also my behavior. I pray that you would empower me to uh, submit to you and obey your word. And, and as we submit to the Spirit, the Spirit of God empowers us and enables us. Uh, the Spirit of God gives us the power we need to say yes to obedience. Okay? So we begin by saying, God created me a clean heart. And then we say, God, uh, will, uh, I, I, as, you, as you help me, you give me your word, I study your word, I submit to your spirit. And by the way, uh, as we submit to the spirit of God, what begins to happen is we begin to see our sin and we begin to try to tinker with our soul. And as we try to tinker with our soul, we become so fixated on our sin that our sins cause us to stumble. So there's another way, a better way. Oh, God, uh, you created me a clean heart. Help me out. Spirit of God, speak to me and show me um, and empower me to, to have a pure heart. Then, third, focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, casting aside the weight and the sin that so easily trips us up. How do we do that? How do we cast aside the weight and the sin that so easily trips us up? Verse 2. Setting our gaze upon Jesus, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. The way we um, navigate every day in victory over sin, even the, the 1%, is by setting our gaze upon Jesus, focusing on him, not taking our eyes off the Savior who has rescued us from hell's embrace and set us on a pathway into the family of God. We set our focus on Jesus, who alone can give us all that we need to taste the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace and the intimacy with the living God. We set our focus on Jesus. Are you focused on Jesus? If we're going to purify our hearts, we, we ask God to give us the help. We submit ourselves to the Spirit of God. We set our gaze upon Jesus, and then when we trip up, Everybody here who raised their hand, you've sinned in the last 24 hours, whenever, and I have to, I, I, more than once for me, a lot more than once for me, when we trip up, when we sin, when we disobey God, we want to return quickly to a heart of worship. How do you return? 
It's the glorious picture of repentance. We must confess our sin and repent. Guys, listen. The key to having a heart that pleases God is having a heart that is quick to repent. That's the key. What leads us back under the covering of God's mercy and and, and gives us the taste of his glorious grace is our repentance, not our perfection. Because I look around and I'm telling you, none of you are perfect and neither am I. And when I sin, I have this wonderful privilege of pleading the the sacrifice of Christ once again, confessing my sin and, and turning from it and And God has promised that he'll purify my heart in that moment. 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, I want us to be healthy. I want you to be healthy. I want to be healthy. But you've got to do your own push-ups for God's pleasure. So today I invite you, commit yourself to obey God's word and purify your heart. The beginning step of bringing pleasure to God and the very first step to having a healthy heart is having a relationship with God. The Bible says that the only way we can have a relationship with God It's through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is God, became flesh, who died for my sin and your sin upon a cross, in our place, taking our punishment. Jesus, who was raised from the dead to give us a new life. The only way we can enter into God's family is through faith in Jesus. How do we express that faith? First, we have to admit that we have sinned against God and our sin is separated from him us from him, and there is no way for us to make ourselves right in God's sight. We admit that we've sinned, but we also believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that he died for my sin, my sin on a cross. He was raised to give me a new life. He is is my only hope in this life or in eternity. And then commit all that I am to him. I confess that Jesus is my Lord, and I give him my life. Today, if you want to experience a healthy heart, you must give Jesus your heart and your life through faith in him. Some of you are here today, and that's exactly what needs to happen. You don't need to follow a set of rules. There's no way you can please God until you're part of his family through faith in Jesus. I invite you to come to Christ and be rescued. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you have never been baptized as a believer. Obedience to God means you must be baptized as a believer. You might say, well, I was uh, baptized as an infant. That's fine. But that's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible says clearly that when in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, 37, 38, 39, when uh, Peter preached the gospel The people heard the gospel. The the people were convicted, and they said, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. After you come into a relationship with God through faith in Christ, then you are baptized 
as a believer. Some of you are here today and you have never been baptized as a believer. And again, I'm not saying anything about you being baptized as a different kind of thing. When the Bible talks about baptism, it talks about you and I who have willfully crossed that line of faith to become a follower of Jesus, then declaring that we are followers of Jesus through baptism. If you have not yet been baptized as a believer, I beg you, be obedient to God. This brings him pleasure. Don't let this be the 1% thing. Be obedient to God and be baptized. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you're here today and you long to become a follower of Jesus, I invite you to come to one of the ministers that will be here at the front. Or you can go to the Next Step station in the Grand Lobby. We would love to help you become a follower of Jesus. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, but you have yet to be baptized as a believer, today is beach baptism. We're going to be baptizing uh, over 40 people, maybe 50 people down at the beach. Today's the day for you to be baptized. And if you are a believer and you long to be baptized, be obedient to God in baptism as a believer. And tell one of these ministers here at the front, go to the next step station and let us know, and we will help take care of that for you. If you're a follower of Jesus and you need to do some repenting of sin, I invite you to come to the altar and talk to God. Talk to one of the ministers. We'd love to pray for you. Now, Father in heaven, as we give you glory, as we praise your name, I pray that you would be honored by our worship because our hearts are set for your pleasure. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.